So I think because party is a proxy for race, I, I think we need to do something about partisan gerrymandering. State legislatures can pass partisan gerrymandering, but in the states that are most egregiously partisan gerrymandered, the legislature is not going to, state legislature is not going to change it because it keeps them in power. And that goes both for, you know, heavily Republican legislature as well as heavily Democratic legislatures as well. They all want to stay in power. So it's in their best interest politically to not do anything about partisan gerrymandering. And the federal court has given them the ability to say, I can partisan gerrymander. Luckily, I had more of your Harper the, the Supreme Court didn't say that state courts can't review that. So I say all that to say that we need Congress to step in and pass a new voting rights act. Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara Ong-Whaley. And I'm Kyle Kondik. Joining us to discuss how Moore versus Harper might impact the rights of Black voters is Mitchell Brown. He is senior counsel for the voting rights section of the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, one of the organizations that was also a plaintiff in Moore versus Harper. Thank you so much for joining us, Mitchell. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I wonder if you could start just briefly by sharing on a personal note how you became involved in work on voting rights. Yeah, for, for me, you know, um, coming to this work in voting rights comes from a, a very special place. Um, so I grew up in a very, uh, I'm not, a very actively, politically active family. You know, my parents held rallies at their house, you know, for local city. Uh, well, I had a board of supervisors in Stafford County, Virginia, where I'm from. So they held rallies at my house and my parents always took my sister and I voting uh, and so really got interested in getting all the literature. Like imagine a six-year-old at the polling place trying to get all the literature from all the candidates and, and actually reading it and seeing what they're talking about. Did I understand what they're talking about? Not really, <laughs> but I wanted to collect all of it. And then fast forward to college, I was an organizer, a college organizer for Common Cause North Carolina, who we actually re represented in this Morby Harper case. So uh, 12 years ago, I was an intern there, and my job was to register college students to vote in the Greensboro, North Carolina area, you know, but also to speak out against the voter ID law, um, the first iteration of voter ID. We're now on number four. <laughs> so the first iteration of voter ID. And, you know, I really enjoyed that job or enjoyed talking with my neighbors and, and uh, my family is from Greensboro. So I feel like I know, I knew everybody, you know, really got involved in that. Uh, and then the 2009 uh, election, uh, mayoral election happened in North Carolina. Um, and uh, we had the first black uh, woman mayor of Greensboro. Her name was Yvonne Johnson. Um, and she was elected in 2005 and run for re-election in 2009. Fast forward to the end of the story. She uh, lost by 100, uh, she lost by 900 votes. And uh, one of my mentors asked me a question. He said, Mitchell, you know, you're in student government. What did you do to get students out to vote? Uh, and, and I told him nothing. Like I told him, this is before I started the common cause. I told him nothing. And, you know, I vowed that day that I would never do nothing again because on A&T's campus where I went to school, there were only 142 students voted. Um, and we have 11,000 students total. And so if, you know, 10% more students voted, you know, Yvonne Johnson may have continued being mayor of Greensboro. And so that vow to do nothing, you know, has always stuck with me and it's brought me back to this work here today. What was your reaction to the, you know, the Morvey Harper ruling? I've seen some, I guess I've seen like a little bit of disagreement, I guess, among some on the left as to like 
how much of a victory it actually was and sort of like what it means for the future. But as someone who was really involved in it, you know, what, what was your reaction to, you know, to, to, to what the, you know, the majority said in that opinion? Uh, my, my, so my reaction was, was pleasant surprise. You know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very glad that the court came out this way. I was looking at the Milligan case and looking at, and then looking at this case, like the court really, you know, uh, followed the rule of law, which I think is very, very important. Uh, I saw those articles about this, this case is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, and, you know, I, I disagree with that because I think, you know, it's yet to be seen what the impact of this case uh, will be in, in the future. But for today, um, for today, this case was, was monumental because uh, if, you know, especially in North Carolina, which now has a Republican supermajority, if the, if the court came out the other way, there was going to be a whole uh, uh, slate of laws that were about to be passed, you know, that state courts couldn't 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 review for federal elections based upon this, uh, based upon what happened in in uh, the Morby Harper case. But because the court said that state courts still have, you know, the right to to review what the legislature is doing with regard to federal elections, I think that's powerful. Uh, will it matter practically um, with a Republican Supreme Court in North Carolina? That's to be seen. Um, but the, the, the power uh, of review is still there. And so I was pleasantly surprised at the outcome of it. Mitchell, so much of the focus on coverage of Morby Harper has been on, on its implications, specifically for partis, partisan, gerryman, partisan gerrymandering, which the Supreme Court has previously not wanted, um, you know, has, has seen as non-justiciable. Um, so I wonder if you can talk more about what the implications of Morby Harper are for voting right. and. Um, how uh, specifically if a more extreme version of the independent state legislature theory would have been adopted, how that might have impacted voting rights and election outcomes? So I, I, so I think about three different states. So I think about North Carolina, I think about Ohio, and I think about Florida. Um, so Florida has a partisan gerrymandering uh, part, uh, well, section of their state constitution, which says that there has to be, you know, some form of partisan equality. In, in, uh, in their redistricting maps. Ohio has an independent redistricting commission, you know, that allows the state Supreme Court to review what the independent state, uh, what the, uh, what the independent redistricting commission was able to do, you know, and send it back and forth. And North Carolina, there's a statute that allows for, uh, courts to, um, ensure that the legislature is following the state constitution. And so, I think about those three states in particular because if the court, if the Supreme Court had adopted a more extreme version, uh, the Florida, the Florida constitutional, you know, provision would have been null and void, uh, and the Florida legislature would have been able to pass as you know partisan maps as much as as much as they wanted to. Uh, in Ohio, the state Supreme Court would not have been able to review the maps, and again, those maps take effect. And in North Carolina, the same thing. And if you look, taking a step back, I know, you know we're not focused so much on partisan gerrymandering, but I think this point is important, is that, uh, you know, the federal courts already said that you, they weren't going to look at, at partisan gerrymandering. So if state courts couldn't also look at partisan gerrymandering, then we would be stuck, you know? Uh, and what that would mean uh, with respect to redistricting is that, you know, there would be maps that don't reflect the composition of, of the voters in, in, in the state. You know, uh, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this in, 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 in a later conversation, but, you know, party has been a proxy for race in across in North Carolina and across many southern states in particular. So, 
if a legislature is able to say, I can partisan gerrymander as much as I want and the state courts can't stop me and the federal courts can't stop me, then I'm able to cover my tracks essentially and, and, and draw, you know, maps that disenfranchise, end up disenfranchising black voters because their vote has no power. Um, and so I think that's the biggest impact. And then, you know, you look at different types of laws that could have been passed with respect to federal election. It could have led to a two-track system where you have certain rules and laws that govern state elections and certain rules and laws that govern federal elections. And who's stuck in the middle is voters because voters don't know which laws to like. Like, oh, I have one set of laws for, for federal elections, but no one for state uh, elections. Which one do I follow? What is correct? And it ends up confusing voters and ends up disenfranchising them. So it could have had a really, if it was a more extreme version, the court had adopted a more extreme version, it could have had a, a chaotic uh, impact on, on our election systems, creating a two-track system, you know, and just creating a lot of confusion. You know, in both this decision and also the, uh, the Allen v. Milligan decision, which mm -hmm. uh, you know, came out, came out recently, it sort of preserved the, um, you know, section two of the Voting Rights Act and, and, uh, uh you know, the, and, and sort of the system for sort of figuring out whether there should or should be a, you know, a majority minority district in, in a certain place. It kind of seemed like in particular, like Justice Kavanaugh, who is, you know, one of the important swing votes on these kinds of, these kinds of issues based on the court is composed. It seemed like he kind of left breadcrumbs in both cases, sort of suggesting that, you know, the, the, uh, um, uh, uh, North Carolina and uh, Alabama basically sort of went too far in what they were asking for. And I just, I, I just wonder if like, you know, we might be back here in a year or two and maybe, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, like, you know, I guess, I guess Republicans in, you know, say like North Carolina or Alabama or something would be maybe asking for something a little more narrow and maybe they'd have success in doing that. I don't know. How did, how did you interpret you know, like what he said and, and, uh, uh, and, and just, you know, where the, where, maybe what's next after these rulings. I say, sadly, I think that, uh, the independent state legislature theory, you know, that it's been said that, that, that there was a nail in the coffin, the independent state legislature theory. Um, and I, I believe that to be mostly true. Um, I do think that the theory will be espoused in, in other cases, you know, around, uh, around rules, around electors you know, and uh, certification of elections. Like, I think those are uh, two areas that I've seen in articles and heard people talking about in a space that, that this could, you know, sprout up again. I think the court has, you know, uh, kind of said that, that state courts can, you know, can review what the legislatures are doing and review those laws, but they left the, they left the hook at the end there <laughs> um, regarding the, their review, their final review, which I think will impact um, and re-energize, could re-energize, you know, uh, this independent state legislature theory. Um, and also I think, you know, as far as Kavanaugh's breadcrumbs is that, you know, if you looked in his, in his concurrence, he kind of talked about the standard, you know, that a court would, would, could, uh, address, you know, uh, with whether or not a straight court went too far. Um, so I think it could possibly be back. Um, I don't think it's the death knell that everybody thinks it is, honestly, um, you know, but also at the same time, I'm not, I'm not worried about it being raised again, because, you know, looking at the organizing that we've done, looking at the, uh, you know, what the court had said, the court said in, in its opinion, I, I think, I think it were pretty safe. It's pretty safe to assume that even though the court left open that they could review state court opinions, that they wouldn't go as far. Um, as, as, you know, Thomas or Alito wanted to go.
I also wonder, you know, just on this, on your point about it not necessarily being a nail in the coffin, Richard Hawson wrote about um, Chief Justice uh, Rehnquist and, and the Brennan Center for, for Justice has also talked about how Chief Justice Rehnquist's opinion in uh, in the 2000 election, election in Bush v. Gore was really the seeds for independent state legislature theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder to what extent you think not just Kavanaugh's writing, but also uh, Justice Thomas and Alito's writing sort of sets the stage for coming back in the future, too, for a stronger version. You know, like, will we see sort of over time a return to it given, um, you know, given the balance on the courts or different cases that that it might see? Yeah. So I think I think I think the Ohio case. So there's an Ohio case um, that is working its way through the federal court system. Um, so as I explained, you know, early in my earlier comments, Ohio has an independent redistricting commission, uh, commission uh, which is checked by the by the state Supreme Court. Um, but what happened is that they've gone back and forth, like I think four times before they went to federal court, where the commission would come up with a map and the Supreme Court said, no, this violates, you know, violates the Ohio, Ohio law. And they would go back up again to redraw and then go back and forth. And what it created was a merry-go-round of, you know, wasting time essentially <laughs> because what ended up happening is bad maps were used for for the congressional election in 2022 because there was a you know impasse between the supreme the state supreme court and the independent redistricting uh commission and so what what you know what how this should come back up again is in the ohio case um and and you know whether or not the supreme court has a remedy power you know this is the Ohio Supreme Court isn't able to adopt its own maps like we are in North Carolina. Um, and I think that's the part that they kind of let the court left open because it wasn't at issue is whether or not the adoption of a map by the by a state Supreme Court does that violate, you know, out, go outside the bounds of judicial review. And so, you know, the seeds that were planted by Rehnquist and then with Thomas and Alito's uh, dissent in, in this case, I could see them, you know, I can see them kind of pushing the Ohio case and saying that court the court shouldn't be involved in this. You know, they can review it, you know, but, you know, at a certain point in time, the legislature has to take preference over, over the, over the state Supreme court. Um, and that that's dangerous. Look at it. That's dangerous because if they say that the legislature like in this standstill type of situation, the legislature's, you know, actions take, uh, uh, take, you know, priority over, you know, the, the Supreme Court's uh, thoughts, then that's going to lead to a lot of issues, you know, and a kind of like a backdoor to the independent state legislature theory, um, because they won't say that the state courts can't view it, but they say that the state court must give deference to the legislature. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up, because that's something I just was just thinking about in regards to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. is it seems like that su- state Supreme Court is going to you know, rule against the maps in that state, well, the federal mm-hmm. congressional level and also at the state level. And, but, you know, the great point is like the mechanism for actually remedying the maps, you know, is it, does the court eventually say, and they really didn't determine that in this North Carolina case, if I'm, you know, being correct, let me know, but, um, that, uh, you know, it's, it's maybe, it may be, maybe a way that, uh, or it may be the case that, you know, the court can rule against the map, but the, they can't really draw it themselves, which they sometimes end up doing in places, including in North Carolina, correct. that hasn't really been tied up. Right. Correct. Now it has not been has not been tied up. I think that's the question. That's one of the questions they left open uh, because that wasn't raised in this case, you know. Um, 
And so that is, that, that's, that's going to be an interesting point. I think that could be a backdoor um, into the independent state legislature theory that, you know, if there's an impasse between the court and the legislature, then the legislature has to take, has to take priority. But there's a, there's a Texas case, a uh, district case from the last cycle. It basically says that you know the legislature is given deference um, in in all uh, in all of its actions. You know, as long as they're in compliance with state or federal constitutions, the legislature is given deference. I can see you know the Supreme Court tying in this deferential uh, treatment for the legislature into um, this impasse type of of situation that we see in Ohio, that we see in Wisconsin. Um, you know, and saying that in terms of an impasse, the legislature takes takes. Uh, takes priority because that is the will of the people. Um, and, 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 it, it, you know, like my, my judge always, so I clerked on the district of South Carolina and on the fifth circuit, my judge always says the proof is in the writing. Uh, and so they, they would have a hard time writing that, but I could see them trying to wriggle their way into a backdoor that in impact in impasse situations, the legislature takes precedent. Well, I wonder how this also might relate to we also the Supreme Court also issued a brief order on Monday, uh, Jan, uh, excuse me, Monday, June 26th, related to the Louisiana map that lifted a stay um, uh, there. Um, so a year ago, um, the the Supreme Court had put placed a hold on a federal district court ruling that had ordered Louisiana Republicans to redraw the state's congressional districts before the 2022 midterms. Yep. Um, that didn't happen, but now it's been sent back to that fifth district court. Um, and and at, at case there was that although um, uh, Black Americans make up about a third of the state's population, the Republican legislators and that in in uh, Louisiana. Um, drew a map in which only one of six congressional districts contained a majority of black voters. Um, and the argument was uh, that was a violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and therefore diluted um, um, their votes. So I wonder, you know, again, here, if it's going back to the Fifth District Court and then ultimately the the Louisiana legislature, you know, is is we're going to we're probably I wonder what your thoughts are on seeing more conflict with regards to that Louisiana map as well. I mean, it's definitely going to be more conflict. So ha having so I lived I lived in Louisiana for for three years. Um, you know, I, I clerked on the on the Fifth Circuit. You know, I was in Shreveport, but we were in New Orleans. So I clerked on the Fifth Circuit, uh, which the court. The, so the Supreme Court sent it back to the Fifth Circuit. You know, I, I see I see this. This is not I'm not call it impasse, but I'm going to call it delay, because if the Fifth Circuit does not rule on this case, you know, in an expedient manner, then we're going to run into something called the Purcell Doctrine, which basically states, you know, that, you know, there can't be election law changes so close to an election. And if you look at, um, I think it was in the Alabama case, I forgot what case it was, Kavanaugh basically, you know, invoked the Purcell Doctrine four months before an election. And that was, that was a shock to us because four months is a long time before an election. You know, courts can move faster than that, you know, and, and, and uh, there are mechanisms in place for state boards of election to make sure that voters aren't confused. Uh, but he invoked the Purcell Doctrine four months before the election. And so what could happen in Louisiana is that the court doesn't rule quickly. You know, and there's not room for an appeal. We run into that same situation where now we have Kavanaugh again, you know, with the potential of saying that, you know, uh, you know we're going to stay the decision of, of the Fifth Circuit. You know, but we're going to, but because of the Purcell Doctrine, we're not going to rule on it, you know? And then we have these bad maps again that are used for the 2024 congressional elections. And that's the issue 
with these types of, and that could be an issue in Louisiana is that, you know, the same maps that were used in 2022 could be used again in 2024 if this case is not resolved, you know, and we keep on pushing it out and pushing it out. And then we're in a new redistricting cycle either because that happened in Texas, you know, last cycle. Like we, we finished litigating the case that was, it took us eight years to litigate a Texas case. You know, by that time we were gearing up for the 2020, you know, redistricting cycle. Um, so, I mean, it all depends on the timing and what the court does in Louisiana and hopefully not running into the Purcell doctrine. It may be that there's, there's, there's not much of an effect, but, you know, in, in North Carolina, you know, it seems like, uh, that, that, uh, you know, Republicans of state legislature are going to get a, basically a second chance to, um, to, to basically gerrymander the, uh, the congressional map. Um, you know, one thing I've been sort of wondering about though, is that what does the Allen, you know, the Milligan case. Does that, do you think that that constrains them in, in, in any way? And I was specifically thinking about, uh, in Eastern North Carolina or Northeast North Carolina, the, uh, um, the district that Don Davis holds, um, uh, you know, I don't, I've heard sort of conflicting things and conflicting arguments as to what, you know, what the decision means, if anything, for, um, for that district and more broadly for the North Carolina redraw. Yes. So I I think it does constrain them because in the initial, uh, 2021, you know, initial redistricting after the census came out, they refused to uh, look at race. Um, they, they specifically said, we're not looking at race and drawing of these districts. Now the Supreme Court has mandated that they must look at race because that is a part of us, any section two analysis. And, and so I think it constrains them because they have to do that. And if they find that they can draw, you know, more majority minority district than they currently have, um, and, you know, then they have to draw that or else they'll be in violation of, of the, of the Milligan case. We are, we're in gearing up in, in, in the process, you know, of looking at and preparing for the new redistricting cycle, um, that's coming up now that we know that the legislature has to redraw the maps. And that's one of the things that we'll be pushing for is that, you know, you have to consider race given the Milligan case and can, you know, in consideration of, of considering race, you know, you have to see if there are other districts that you can draw, because if you don't draw them, then, you know, you're in violation. And we have another case, a state case uh, in uh, North Carolina called Stevenson v. Bartlett, which contemplates that overlap between the Voting Rights Act and the state constitution. And in that case, it says that, you know, Voting Rights Act districts must be drawn first before other districts are drawn. And, it, you know, the court has, that makes court, not court, the legislature has been resistant to that. You know, we brought that point up last year uh, in, in our case. Um, in this Warby Harper case at the trial level, we brought that up. You know, and that kind of was lost in, in, in this, in the Morby Harper, uh, case as it went up to the Supreme Court that we brought this claim of racial, racial gerrymandering. Um, and, uh, we didn't bring a section two claim, but we brought racial gerrymandering claims because race was lost, um, in, in talking about these maps. And so, I mean, the legislature will be, will be constrained by it. Now, will they abide by it, um, or, or. That's another story. I, I think we live in a time now, especially after Shelby County, where legislatures are in a position of basically saying, prove me wrong. Uh, I'm going to do what I want to do, but it's up to voting rights advocates and voting rights attorneys in the democracy space to challenge me, um, to challenge the legislature and to say, hey, what you did was unconstitutional. Um, and so if you, if the legislature is in a prove me wrong, um, you know, uh, standpoint, that's going to be hard. I mean, look, we're, we'll prove them wrong <laughs> again and again. We, we have a history of that. Um, but I think that they may be resistant to trying to draw these extra, extra districts. And that's where we'll have to step in. But I think, you know, and 
I think regardless, it's not going to be as helpful. Like these map, new maps are not going to be as helpful to black voters um, in North Carolina because, you know, they're going to cover their tracks with partisan gerrymandering. Um, and so, you know, it's, I don't think it ever will be even um, like as it was in 2022 court adopted map. You know, I think it's going to be very, very uh, egregious, you know, uh, Republican gerrymander that, you know, complies with Section 2, but doesn't help voters at the end of the day. One of the things we learned from Becky Harper yesterday was that there was a disagreement in the spring about whether to pursue a ruling from the Supreme Court in Moore versus Harper. Um, and we're wondering just what your perspective was, given um, all the potential outcomes of the Moore v. Harper ruling. Yeah. Um, so, 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 I mean, yes, there was, there was disagreement. Um, and you know, uh, one of the, one of the thoughts that was looming on our mind is, you know, and I mentioned earlier, is not running into this confusion for the 2024 election, not running into the Purcell doctrine. Um, the court was, the Supreme court was going to address the independent state legislature theory, either in our case or in the Ohio case, um, that was percolating through the federal courts. So we thought it best, you know, that let the court answer it now in 2023. So that we're not, they're not doing it on an emergency basis in 2024 and throwing chaos into, into the system, you know, because it, because it, this ruling came out in June, 2023, there's now time, you know, um, for, for the Ohio case to play out, for the Louisiana case to play out, for Alabama to play out, you know, there's, and other local, even local redistricting cases to play out before the 2024 election. Now, I mean, I think that was very, very important to us. Um, and so, yes, while there's disagreement, I, I think I think it was better if it happened this year um, rather than next year, because next year will cause a lot of confusion for folks. Moving forward, what would you say needs to be done to secure voting rights, um, especially for uh, race, for for minoritized and marginalized groups? Yeah. So I think because because party is a proxy for race, I, I think what's in, I think what's important uh, is we need to do something about partisan gerrymandering. And the, the Congress is the, right now, Congress is the only body out, I mean, state legislatures can pass partisan gerrymandering, but in the states that, you know, are most egregiously, most egregiously partisan gerrymandered, the legislature is not going to, state legislature is not going to change it because it keeps them in power. And that goes both for, you know, uh, heavily Republican legislature as well as heavily Democratic legislatures as well. You know, they all want to stay in power. So it's in their best interest politically to not do anything about partisan gerrymandering. Um, and the federal court has given them, you know, the ability to say, I can partisan gerrymander. Um, luckily, <laughs> you know, I had more of your Harper, the, the uh, Supreme Court didn't say that state courts can't review that. Uh, so I say all that, I say all that to say um, that uh, we need Congress to step in um, and pass a new voting rights act. Uh, we need them to to outlaw partisan gerrymandering because, you know, party is a proxy for race. And if you can't racially, like, if, if the only difference between racial gerrymandering and partisan gerrymandering is what you call it, then and it serves the same function, uh, then they both need to be outlawed. <laughs> and, and because that's what happened. You know, if you look at this, if the statistics, specifically for North Carolina, but other Southern states, party is a proxy for race. You know, and if you can say, I'm not discriminating against black voters, I'm discriminating against Democratic voters, or I'm discriminating against Republican voters in those Democratic states, you know, at this end of the day, the, the, 
the legislatures, legislators are picking their voters. The voters are not picking their legislators. And that's an issue. Um, so Congress needs to pass a, a voting rights act and outlaw partisan gerrymandering. But we also need to, they also need to add in a preclearance provision. So I mentioned earlier, I call it the prove me, prove me wrong standpoint. Uh, that we, because of Shelby County in 2013, over the last 10 years, like we have had to litigate these cases on a case by case basis. And if you look back at the history of the Voting Rights Act prior to when it was passed, that was one of the reasons why it was passed is to prevent this case by case, uh, you know, adjudication of, of, uh, voting rights laws. Um, you know, in, in specifically in the South, but in, in, in the country, uh, you know, so when that was rolled back, now we're back again, where we have to use all of our resources to basically play whack-a-mole with different laws, you know? So in this, I, I'll use North Carolina as an example, you know, we have the redistricting case, but then we also just have voter ID laws. And now we have felony disenfranchisement, you know, like all of these voting rights laws are being passed, you know, that constrict the right to vote for black voters in North Carolina. Like, so Congress needs to step in and pass, you know, legislation that, you know, either adds preclearance. So some of the stuff will be prevented from happening because all they need to do is get a formula, you know, and I think that's a common misconception um, for, for folks is that the Supreme Court in Shelby County never said preclearance was unconstitutional. They never said it was unconstitutional. They said the formula was unconstitutional, you know? And so if Congress reenacts a new formula, you know, for preclearance, then we can, we can, you know, uh, get back to the days of preclearance and, and we can use our resources to, to organize people rather than trying to fight in court all the time. So I, I think those are the two things that, that need to happen. Mitchell Brown, thank you so much for joining us on Politics is Everything. And we hope you'll come back, especially as we continue to track what happens in the Ohio case and, and then also what may happen in the Wisconsin Supreme Court as well. For sure. For sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Whaley. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Faze. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at center number four politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.